if you're following us with the book, which is the essence of the Bhagavad Gita, let's turn to chapter 17, which is what we're beginning to today. Now, as I said, this chapter is titled The Three Levels of Spiritual Practice. And this is what this chant was about. What is our spiritual practice? How to love more, how to serve more, how to give more. That's what any spiritual practice is. It's an offering of ourselves. This first verse, which we'll read, but we have to give it a right context. And the right context of this first verse is the last verse of the previous chapter. So let's just first see what Arjuna says. Those who set aside scriptural rules, yet sacrifice to God with devotion, what, O Krishna, is the status of their sacrifice? Is it sattvic, rajasic, or tamasic? Now, why does Krishna, uh, Arjuna talk about scripture here? Because in the previous chapter, we ended with Krishna giving this advice to Arjuna. And he said, take true scripture, therefore, as your guide in determining what you should, what, we, what should be done and what should be avoided. With intuitive understanding of the injunctions of holy writ, perform your earthly duties. So Krishna is kind of taken this previous chapter, which was titled The Nature of Godly and Demonic. So just trying to tune into what are these qualities inside us and how do I feed these divine upward flowing qualities and how do I help kind of transmute these downward flowing qualities. And Krishna is asking us all to use true scripture as the guide to help us tune in because at all times we're not going to necessarily have the awareness of what's happening in us. And that's why we had said even write down these qualities, have these qualities available to you, those 26 divine qualities, just always at hand. Because at any given moment, one of those 26 qualities will be the answer. If I don't have the willpower, at least let me have acceptance. If I can't accept things as they are, let me at least be completely self-honest with what I'm doing. So, so on and so forth as Krishna lays them down. Let me at least be fearless, if nothing else if that's all I can do in this moment. So he's talking about true scripture, but the truth is, I mean, I don't know any scripture. Uh, here, uh, we're reading the Gita, so we're starting to get to know one scripture, fortunately, but even then it's really confusing and it's really contradictory. And sometimes Krishna is saying do this and sometimes saying do that. And it can get overwhelming, can't it? And I'm not going to go around just be like, okay, I want to, you know, today I need to do this. Let me see what the scripture says about this. Today I need to you know, step out of my house. What does Krishna say about stepping out of the house? I mean, we're not going to find every particular answer to everything in scripture alone. So Arjuna really on our behalf, because perhaps he's also not that familiar with all the scriptures, because I'm not, I don't know, you know, what's in the Shiv Puran and what's in the Bhagavatam and what's in the Bible and what's in the Quran and what's in even the Gita after having re read the entirety of it. If you were to ask me, what did Krishna say on chapter three, I'd be like, mm, you know, just barely remember. So Arjuna asks Krishna, Bhai, okay, you know, you're talking about true scripture. You've asked me to use true scripture. You've asked all of us as a guide of what should be done, what should be avoided. But in my day-to-day -day life, as I'm giving myself to God, because that's what Arjuna is trying to now perfect, he says, what about those who set aside scriptural rules? Like, I don't really know. 
यू नो इस हाथ से दू कि यू नो यहाँ टीका डालू कि यहाँ माथा टेकू आई मीन यू नो समाइम्स इट जस्ट लाइक आई नो वट दस से समटाइम्स यू नो आई वॉज रेज एन एस्ट एस आई मैं सो मेनी टाइम्स एंड समटाइम्स वी वैन ऑब्लिगेटेड टू गो टू टेम्पल माई फादर वॉज इन दी आर्मी सो वेन ही वॉज दी कमांडिंग ऑफिसर एनी टाइम वी हैड सम फेस्टिवल यू नो ही हैड टू कैंड ऑफ बी देर सो ही ड्रैगस अलॉन्ग विद वीड फील लाइक फिश आउट ऑफ वॉटर लाइक सो अनकम्फर्टेबल सिटिंग ओवर देर एंड द पंडित इज यू नो गोइंग ऑन एंड ऑन एंड नाउ यू हैव टू पुट दिस एंड नाउ यू हैव टू डू दिस एंड नाउ दिल टेक एंड कौन से हाथ से प्रसाद लो एंड you know all that stuff sometimes it's a little overwhelming in certain situations so arjuna is kind of addressing that reality for us what if i don't know what if i don't know what's you know scripturally kind of uh, allowed or not what happens to my sacrifice what happens to and sacrifice here doesn't mean ki koi you know goat ko sacrifice kar raha something everything is a sacrifice because anything we offer to god we have to pull it away from the ego everything is a sacrifice to the ego that is being given joyfully willingly devotionally here as arjuna says what happens to that devotion what happens to that particular thing if i give to god you know my time my energy my love my worship my seva and i'm not following if you go to a very traditional ashram they might tell you ki itne baje hi uth sakte hain isko isse itne baje hi chhu sakte hain isko ab yahan hi touch kar sakte because the vedas have prescribed a very complete uh, detailed way of one version of how to live and of course that version was far more applicable in a higher age today many of those things may or may not be easily translatable you know we're in a different time frame but the sacrifice continues love continues devotion continues so what of that devotion and then arjuna as always brings it to what krishna has been classifying practically everything thus far into the three gunas what happens to that devotion is it satvik is it rajasik or is it tamasik if i don't know scripture and if i'm not 100% sure of what i'm doing yet i try to do that thing devotionally what is the quality of my devotion very nice question i really felt like wow you know thank you <laughs> the blessed lord said the issue involves the quality of faith exercised whether it is in fact satvik rajasik or tamasik hear my words on this point each one's faith depends upon his nature as a man is so is his faith and as his faith so is the man now faith is an interesting word isn't it because he's not talking about uh do you have faith in shiva or do i have faith in ganesh or he's talking about the quality of our faith which let's step it down from faith for a moment because faith sometimes can be mis represented by saying i have faith in god you know and we get really very excited about the fact that we really trust god so deeply let's bring to belief and i'm not even talking about god at all right now i'm just talking about what do you believe in general you know some people believe the world's inherently just amazing and good and every person is really lovely if that's what they believe in if that's what the energy that they're putting out if that's the quality of vibration that they perceive the world as then that's the kind of human being they'll generally be those who see good 
are generally very good people. Those who believe the world is out to get them and everything has to be fought for and you know it's a harsh place and it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, you know, tend to be more like dogs. <laughs> tend to be more like, let me just grab whatever I can for myself whenever I can. You know, the one place you see that vibration the most, in India especially, is in the traffic. The moment some guy sees an opening, he rushes to that opening. Nobody else should get there, you know, I must get through that opening. It doesn't matter that three seconds later, <laughs> everything will open up anyway. Without a reason. No it's reason like, at all. No reason at all. You look like, what's happening? Nothing is happening. And they'll block the other lane and then now the other traffic can't come. And that one deep desire to be first and to get there before everyone has essentially created such a situation that now nobody can move. And that's that vibration of how we see the world. That's the faith we hold. So it's not like ki Shiva ke bhakto, tum ki Krishna ke bhakto, or do you generally think of yourself as someone who has faith in God? It's like, how do you see? What's your belief system? When man believed, this is a very interesting thing. When man believed the earth was flat, was a time when that's, you know, the reality. There's a story of the, um, I believe, Native Americans, that when they would look out at the ocean, they couldn't see the ship come, because if, well, I have to explain this a little visually, if the earth is round, as I believe it is, Narayani? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I know that one. So if a ship's coming on the horizon, in a curved reality, what will happen is first you'll see the mast. If you're seeing it from a distance, then you'll see more of the mast, more of the mast, because it's actually coming up a curved reality and that's how you'd see the ship. But if it's a flat thing, you'll see it as a tiny thing and just growing in size. You won't see that reality, first the mast coming up, then the next sails, then the entire hull of the ship. But when people believed the earth was flat, um, it was said that the Native Americans couldn't even see it until the ship was already really close because their intention was they should be able to see something really tiny growing, 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 growing. And so there was this whole thing of about how the uh, Europeans conquered, you know, most of the Americas in this way that they could not even perceive this reality until it was already too close to them. Can you imagine how easily the mind can play tricks on us just because we've created this perception of the world, so on and so forth. Now the question is, what is your quality and what's your relationship to the world? First, forget what you're offering to God because you, we can fake a lot of things with God. And here people will come and just do, hoy, hoy, you know, Guruji, Guruji, and then they step out and you know, there they are in the traffic. Bam, 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 bam. You know, what's the, what are we, where's, what's true faith here? This coming and bowing before God or that? Because in my mind, that's more a reflection of true faith. When nobody's watching, when you don't think that anybody's, you know, assessing you and when you don't think that God's with you, how do you act? And when you think God's with you here or in a temple or, you know, during some holy festival, then we get so holy. So that's a very, very important reality for us to tune into. How do you see people? What do you draw from them? 
when you look at people is the first thing you see their faults their issues you know are you quick to judge so on and so forth and that's the first reality we need to look at what is my relationship to this world before i can be honest about my relationship with god because there's a lot of fakery in our relationship with god not fake because we're trying to be fake fake because we think that's when our faith needs to be shown you know we're just we've not understood the reality that god's everywhere so i don't need to like show extra faith in certain places and then completely disregard faith altogether so that's just a very important foundation for us to tune into now he goes and says sattvic reverence is given to the devas rajasic reverence is offered to the yakshas and rakshasas tamasic devotion is the fascination some people feel for ghosts and astral spirits and this was an interesting one for me especially that last one fortunately swami has kind of expanded on it and given us a little context so of course sattvic reverence he says is given to the devas now what do the devas represent the devas are the causal realities from which the universe was first created remember way back i don't know what now which chapter krishna talks about the prajapatis and he lays down a very complex set of you know this guy then he had these many children and we talked about the uh, daityas and the devas and the asuras and how they all started getting created which was essentially the hierarchical kind of mm, construction of the very universe so the devas they represent that subtlest realm of the causal plane therefore closest to pure consciousness um most rituals tend to be to the devas you know the agni is given and back then especially in the vedas the way it's written it was to appease indra it was to appease you know one of those um you can say primordial vibrations of creation and so if we're tuning into that in what it means to me particularly is the qualities that we're trying to tune into what are the qualities this universe is built on talk about love we talk about joy what are these qualities that you want to attune into what are those uplifting qualities that you want to see and express more and more in your life because yeah we need things and we're very greedy about things often time but at the end of everything is that idea that i will be happy at the end of this and there's a quality there there's a vibration of that happiness that we're seeking but we seek it very indirectly the devas are that highest state of that quality so if i can get to that quality itself then my devotion tends to be sattvic because it draws the energy really up i've been tuning into this sattva rajas and tamas for like cuz krishna just talks about it so often and we've given so many different descriptions we talked about how you know it's like a wave in the ocean and the ocean's consciousness and the wave you know as it pushes away rajas and so on and so we gave so many different ways we talked about how um if a diamond is in like in a transparent bag and you can see the diamond as opposed to if it's in like a translucent bag or if it's in a completely um opaque bag and that's the degrees of separation from spirit that these gunas represent and one other thought that was coming to me is in terms of the spectrum of light uh you've got black on one end 
and you've got white on the other end. I can take any color, uh, you take blue and if you go to the absolute one end of blue, it'll become black. And if you go to the absolute, if you use Photoshop or you know, nowadays Canva is really popular, <laughs> that's what we use. You get that little color wheel and if you kind of pull it to one direction, it's white. No matter what color it is, if you pull it to the other direction, it's black. Now what do black and white represent in terms of spectrums of light? Black represents completely absorbing into yourself all colors. So black does not reflect anything back, whereas white does not absorb any color and reflects back everything. And so when I think about Tamas and Sattva and Rajas, Tamas is this really absorbing everything, the self-contracting reality where everything relates back to us. My ego, myself, what I want, what I need. And Tamas is also that which does not want to put out any energy. It just wants, but it's not willing to actually do anything about it. So it wants the easiest way, most convenient way, the least kind of will that is required. And then you've got Sattva on the other end, which is just reflecting everything. Nothing's mine. Everything is God. And so I'm just going to give and give and give and give. And these are the two realities. And then you've got God himself, who is beyond the any visible spectrum at all. That's that vibrationless state. And Rajas is just whatever color in between. Rajas can go towards a darker shade. It can go towards a lighter shade. And it's constantly moving. And Rajas represents energy. Energy can either take us upward or it can draw us downward. So when Krishna is talking about those sattvic qualities, he's talking about how much of it that are we reflecting in this world? Are we expressing these devas? Because if you want something from these devas, we naturally come a shade below to the rajasic reverence, which is actually not going to the devas, but it goes to the yakshas and rakshas. Now, I know it sounds like your yakshas and rakshas seem really down, but they're actually not. They're half divine and half demonic. And in fact, they're a lot like us. And yakshasas were the treasuries. They are the, uh, you can say, the divine custodians of wealth. And the rakshas are the divine custodians of power. And so, whenever you want in the world wealth or power or anything that circulates around this reality, that's when your reverence, your devotion to this world is rajasic, which is its transactional. I want from you, I want from you. But I'm willing to put out energy as well, which is I'm willing to do a lot of this stuff. I'm willing to do whatever sacrifice is needed, but I want something material from you. I don't care about qualities. <laughs> I'm not here looking for that supreme happiness. I want the instant happiness, instant gratification of the latest iPhone. I want the instant joy of you know, a relationship that's just really, really physical. I want the instant, so on and so forth. And then finally, this is the interesting one to me. You come to tamasic devotion is the fascination some people feel for ghosts and astral spirits. And Swamiji here talks about people who uh, go and visit mediums or psychics. Mm -hmm. And he talks about it as the least, you know, where we just want to go and somebody should connect to something else and you don't even really care what it's about. And that they should give you whatever it is, the answers that you're looking for. I'm not going to put out any energy on my own. I'm not going to open myself in any particular way. 
I'm just going to go to somebody else who claims to have access to higher power. And Swamiji makes a very clear distinction. He says, a master almost, almost will never reveal himself through a medium. Because the whole point of a master coming is for us to be able to attune ourselves, not for somebody to just parrot or, you know, give us some message through him. That's just not his, I mean, that's not what he's here for at all. Krishna doesn't need a medium to come you and tell you, I mean, he, you know, Krishna will either come to you in your own intuitive perception when you get extremely still in the depth of your meditation, or you're just not going to be able to tune into him at all. Nobody can tell you, I know what Krishna is saying and I have a message for you from Krishna. And that's that tamasic idea here, which is, kuch bhi de de, bas mujhe kuch de do. Something that I don't need to do anything at. I don't want to work hard. I want to, a lot of people often when they come for advice, for example, you know, you just when you give them, you're going to have to do this. You're gonna, you see, they're so like dejected and unhappy sometimes because they were hoping for some really easy anecdote. Just give me some prayer. Do I just feed some 10 Brahmins? I mean, what should I do that's like so easy that all my problems should be solved? And that's that vibration and that consciousness. That's the devotion we often bring to the world. I mean, again, let's not make this like about some God reality alone. This is how we relate to the world. This is how we interact with it. How can I get away with putting out the least effort and gain the absolute most? And I don't even care how I do it. I don't care if I have to cut corners. I don't care if somebody else gets hurt in the process. I just need what I need. And that's that black, really dark state where all light is just being absorbed in by you. Nothing is being reflected back into the world. Tamasic devotion also takes the form of trying to show off by the performance of terrible austerities unauthorized by the scriptures, by hypocritical displays, by ego demonstrations, lustful passions and attachments, and power madness. Senselessly, those with this kind of devotion torture their body elements, thereby offending me who dwell in their bodies. This is another thing Swamiji talks about here, and he talks about um, the need to take, say, for example, drugs or alcohol to place yourself in altered states. So that's a, also a very common thing. I mean, I don't know if you remember that entire the 70 hippie movement where, you know, magic mushrooms, LSD. Of course, it opened a lot of people's mind to draw them onto the spiritual path. But even today, the young, you know, it's like, what's the quickest, easiest way? where my energy can be dulled down to the point where I'm just so... What's the right? What's the opposite word of like intensely aware? <laughs> just completely subconscious. And it is in those situations, Master said, often that spirits can enter into you. That other entities, other states of consciousness, other vibrations, and that's an important thing to realize. We're not talking about some, you know, disembodied ghosts or something. We're just saying the entire universe is made up of these three gunas. Everything in nature vibrates with one of these three gunas. And so the moment you put yourself in a tamasic state, a tamasic kind of power enters into you, further reinforcing your need for that state, further pulling you down into that state. And then, of course, the other things are pretty self-explanatory. Being hypocritical, you know, guilty, 
sometimes doing things to show off of how amazing you are by performing certain terrible austerities and over here he says by torturing their body elements by putting out you know doing these really difficult fasts by sometimes you know doing these really unnecessary unneeded things that as he says are unauthorized by the scriptures nowhere here for example let's take the Gita Nobody here is Krishna saying, you know, you have to roll around in the sand and, you know, go up to Vaishnu Devi by rolling all around. I mean, it's a great, you know, you can do it, you want to do it, go ahead. But what does it really show? It just attracts more attention to you as an individual. You know, you're taking the temple that is your body and you're putting it through a process that it was never really intended to go through. What's the point here? Yes, on one hand, willpower could be generated. And that's where you have to tune into what's the quality of somebody's devotion because somebody could be doing the rolling thing with just this deep desire to attune to the power of will. And if that's his only intention, then he's drawing from the devas. Then, then there is that sattva quality to what he's doing, even if he's doing it in the only way in that moment he is able to. So we have to really be aware of our own quality and judge not what others perhaps are doing. Now Krishna goes into the aspects of food, which is another very interesting thing. Even the taste for food is variously sattvic, rajasic or tamasic. So also the preferred types of yagya. Yagya again, not just rituals, but the offering that we do. The penances and the ways of alms giving. Hear these distinctions. Foods that promote longevity, vitality, endurance, health, a cheerful attitude, a good appetite that are pleasant tasting, mildly flavored, nourishing and agreeable to the body, such foods give sattvic enjoyment and are preferred by sattvic people. Foods that are bitter, sour, heavily salted, excessively hot, pungent, sharp tasting and burning give rajasic enjoyment and are preferred by people of rajasic temperament. Such foods produce pain, discomfort and disease. Foods that are nutritionally worthless, tasteless, putrid, stale, thrown away as garbage or otherwise impure give tamasic enjoyment and are preferred by tamasic people. Mm. I love his the qualities that he puts in there. Yogananda, in fact, created this entire chart of qualities, primarily of fruits and vegetables. And he said every fruit and vegetable has a unique quality, a unique vibration that it adds to us. Now, why a fruit and vegetable in specific? Uh, the greatest power or the source of true prana on earth is the sun. Just as the source of true vitality within our body is the astrological spiritual sun at the point between the eyebrows the same is true as a reflection of the world sun is the source of unadulterated prana therefore it's extremely important for us to spend some time outside and draw directly yogananda highly recommended sun baths and you know just being in the sun but not just being there because we're going out shopping so therefore I have to walk through the sun but being in the sun and drawing consciously its power feeling all along your skin every point where the sun's rays pierce your skin and then trying to absorb that prana directly into your system but the sun being the primary source 
the plants are next in terms because all plants function on what photosynthesis which means they take directly the sun's energy and convert it into prana so all fruits and vegetables are the condensed prana of the sun then you have the next layer which is animals right and they consume the secondary form of prana and then they have to convert that into prana in their bodies and then if we consume them that's like that much further away from pure prana and then of course i'm not going to talk about cannibalism but then you take about you know so on and so forth so the more you go in that whole direction away from what the original sun's power was the more the energy starts going from sattva to tamas so in sattvic food you've got fruits and vegetables and as krishna says here mildly flavored if you either you eat them raw ideally or you just kind of work with them very little pleasant tasting one thing i think swami once said or master i can't remember now is that those things that have an inherent taste of their own that don't need anything to add taste to it that's the taste you should try to tune into and nothing that you've added to spice it up and therefore anything we add to the original taste makes any food rajasic in order to bring out a flavor that's not naturally its flavor so that's another thing to really tune into what am i doing when i cook food you know what's the original flavor of this vegetable and how much have i added to it in order to change its flavor the further away from its original flavor i go the more rajasic the food gets the other thing about sattvic food is it's supposed to be cooling and soothing to our nervous system and therefore it does not leave any too many by products in our system it's something that's very easily digestible and is eliminated in its entirety after all the nutrients are drawn so that's another important kind of thing to tune into in sattva it doesn't leave any waste within the body then you've got rajasik now rajasik is anything that's pungent jitna masala jitna chili achar uh certain of the early meats which is the chicken and the lamb uh where the consciousness of the animal is still not as evolved as say a cow or a pig and so you have to tune into what the rajasic fruits are foods are in your life is anything that we kind of spice up a little bit more than is needed eggs of course are rajasic as well pure dairy products master said can be sattvic but anything like today what we have is the, you know these packaged stuff I mean, they're they're actually tamasic. Moving to tamasic, just to say anything, and I love this word, nutritionally worthless. Mm-hmm. So don't fall for the Maggie's uh, taste be health be. Oh, health ain't you up for good, you know. And to make it taste like anything, you have to add this really fake stuff into it. I'm a big Maggie eater, so I used to be at least. I don't. I'm not eating the Maggie for six time, months yeah. now. You know, that's record. naturally record. Yeah, it's an absolute record. But anything that's prepackaged, anything that has preservatives, anything, anything that comes in a can, anything that says this can stay on the shelf for six months, tamasic. Anything that comes in any form of a bag or a thing or a sealed reality. all tamas because all prana has gone from it master said the moment you pluck a fruit from that very moment on prana begins to go less 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 if you don't eat it within a day 
even by the next day, the majority of its actual prana has left it. So all of us imagine where is it being harvested, where it has traveled from, now it's gotten to the Mandi guy, how long has he had it, and then we get it. I mean, I don't know how many days pass through this whole process, but you know, it's a little scary, isn't it? <laughs> Am I just eating air at the end of it all? But and that's why you so highly recommended that you grow your own food, not only is it helpful that you'll be able to draw immediately you know and be able to consume something immediately but when you grow something on your own especially a plant um, it not only is drawing from the sun but it's interacting with you there was this beautiful book called uh, the ringing cedars by a russian you know, i don't know back in the 18th century um, and he met this girl who used to live in this forest and her name was anastasia and she said that the forest would provide her with absolutely anything she needed because when she would go and touch a plant, the plant would receive her DNA. Uh, sweat, mm -hmm. which would carry like, you know, just her vibration. And then the plant would tune into what she's missing. And whether or not it's inherently part of its own fruit or not, it would grow the missing nutrients in whatever fruit or whatever vegetable that it was growing and that's such an interesting thing about plants and that's why it's so important to interact with them touch them feel them let them know who you are be in their vibration more often because then they'll just take on what you need and then they'll convert that sunlight that pure prana into what you need rather than just something that's generic like magnesium potassium so on and so forth it'll really try to tune into who you are so if you're one person who grows your own food feel that out with the plants and build that relationship with them but again as master finally said he says nobody ever found god through a pure stomach only through a pure heart so while these are wonderful things to keep in mind especially if you're a rajasic kind of restless kind of guy you know, make sure that you've got more sattva in your food. If you're tamasic, then sattvic food is not going to help you so much as rajasic food is going to help you. If you are like low on energy, tend to be a lazy kind of person, tend to be like, you know, a little dull or easily fatigable, then you need rajasic foods. You need that energy to keep you, to uplift you beyond tamas before you can enter a state of sattva. So that's an important thing to remember as well. Oh, I think we're almost at it. Should you wanna? Do you want to say one more? Let me just do one more. This is verse eleven. That yagya, or sacrificial rite, or performance of duty. So here, yagya is like anything, anything where energy is being used, because that's what yagya is. As he said, it's an offering. If I wanna, you know, go to the bathroom, I have to offer my energy by moving it to get to that place. The universe needs you to put something out into it for it to be able to return back anything be even the movement of our own arm so wherever energy is moved a yagya is naturally being created because that's what yagya is the fire represents that prana and that energy and what we offer into that fire is the quality of my intention my thought my you know the reason behind why i'm performing this action in the first place so that yagya is sattvic which is offered without any desire for personal gain. 
which is performed in accordance with the teachings of scripture and with firm belief in its righteousness in its rightness let me just go into the next we've gone through some of these before so i don't need to go so deep yagra yagya performed with the hope of reward o best of the bharatas is in spirit of and in spirit of ostentation is rajasik ostentation is a little bit showy you know needs people to know ki main ye kar raha hu and finally the yagya is declared tamasik which is not motivated by regard for scriptural injunctions makes no suitable gifts of food or money and is performed without the offering of sacred chants or prayers and is without devotion to god when i read this i realized that the majority of my actions tend to be tamasik because here we are not talking about you know again we are not talking about rituals look at what krishna says those that yagya is declared tamasik which is not motivated by regard for scriptural injunctions what does it mean to be motivated by scriptural injunctions is like for us to be aware that there is there are laws in this universe that are in place and when we act just completely subconsciously not much caring about these laws not particularly thinking about am i attuning myself to these great flows of energy or not and one of the laws which is rajasik is what you give you will receive so there's a whole rajasik law as well so rajas at least has some of it because like i want this i'm going to put energy out towards it i'm going to receive it that's a very clear law of give and take but when tamas is i want but i'm not going to do much about it is immediately a break from the very law of the universe second makes no suitable gifts of food or money now of course he's talking in terms of a ritualistic reality but food or money is again just energy where we are not willing to put out any energy we sit we dream we hope we think we want but we do nothing about it and we're not interested in any process where we're working with a larger reality is performed without offering sacred chants or prayers and without devotion how many i mean i do all my actions without chanting i do all my actions without offering any sacred prayers thank god you know swami ji and master created prayers were like before we eat before we meditate before we energize before the day starts we do our affirmations we read from a book over here every day after breakfast so oh, thank god there are certain things that our masters have kind of pre-programmed for us because otherwise i'm just going about my day just pretty subconsciously all the time and it just struck me as a oh boy most of my actions everything that i'm doing is just tamasic because a lot of it's just i'm putting out as little energy as possible i'm trying not to make any real offering of myself in the process i try to avoid and resist anything where i'd have to actually compromise and change something and accommodate some other realities just like jitna i can keep it all the way i want it to be yet also have what i actually want without changing my reality that is tamas and that's a very very important thing for us to kind of first of foremost just accept and then change it is so much better to have rajas right now that says i want this i'm going to do it i'm going to focus my energy i'm going to put out and it's very conscious rajas is conscious at least tamas is subconscious 
we need to start tuning into. I'm going to, you know, when I read it, I was just like, boy, I'm going to be chanting more when I brush my teeth. I'm going to be chanting more because I want to spiritualize and make everything that I do. Or even when I'm brushing my teeth, I want to be thinking, I'm doing this because my teeth are going to be really, really white after this. My gums are going to be really, really clean after this, as opposed to, and that's it, you know, nothing of that action brought me any real benefit and I was at the lowest level possible at that moment of my own awareness so you know you don't have to brush your teeth the way I just said but anything we do start tuning into it I'm eating because as I eat my body gets nourished how do we normally eat you know it's just what what are you doing what are you nourishing yourself with you have no idea why you're even eating and that becomes tamas. So it's just, I don't know, just a fun, really fun, really awareness, eye-opening reality for us to tune into how much tamas we're expressing in what we would otherwise not consider tamas. So just leave it at that perhaps yeah, for now. Yeah, that's so true. I was thinking about today while you were saying about food and all those things and growing your own food. We have been so proud of our first harvesting here on the land, on the, at the ashram. For months, especially Abiruchi and Rajesh, have put so much energy into the garden. And finally, three days ago, we had our first one bindi. And that was such a successful moment. I mean, we were so proud. A week ago, we had finally our first one single tiny tomato and we just ate it so proudly and what was the other thing yesterday or guava. the day before we have we had our first guava that we picked it up from the tree and those moments were just so satisfying to be able to to take something directly from mother earth so that's a little incident i wanted to bring up but while talking about our interaction, especially with food, I would like to bring up the importance and something that Yogananda highly recommended and Swami Kriyananda even gave a specific prayer to do before each meal. Because when we are about to eat, we have no idea where that food has come from, who has cooked it, who has prepared it, you know, how many days, you know, it has been, who knows where. But there is something that we can do, and that is to bless that food, to bless those fruits and vegetables and whatever we have in that plate and ask the divine to infuse that meal with those nutrients or those specific qualities that they are missing. And, and ask the divine to infuse it and to add those things that will nourish it at the three levels, physical level, emotional level, and at a more ethereal level. Because as Krishna was saying, our body 
is his body. Mm. Our body is our temple. So in a sense, when we eat, we are offering that prasad, that nourishment. We are taking care of our physical body. So the act of blessing absolutely every meal, every snack that you take in between meals, every drink, every juice, every banana that we take, anything, first to take a couple of seconds and to invite the divine to infuse that thing that you are about to offer to your body, which is God's body. And, and if we start developing the habit to make of that act also a sacred moment where we are building a conscious relationship with our physical body and start seeing it as something holy that needs to be taken care of rather than, you know, there's, you know, disregard it like a poof, brush it off as if nothing. So this is going to be the challenge that I'm going to propose. If you are not already doing it, please take a moment before you intake anything into your body and, and make that connection with the divine. Ask the divine to infuse it, to bless it, to magnetize it, to infuse it with that particular prana that we may need in that particular moment of our life. And I would say even this, teach your children to do the same. Help them to understand that relationship and that approach with food. Because food, in a sense, every day that we have something to it, it's like Divine Mother saying, I will always provide for you. You will never be hungry, you know, because Divine Mother provides constantly. So even in that prayer, to, to add a sense of gratitude for so much abundance in our life, that will really bring the state of well-being and health that we are really looking for. So make a conscious effort that every moment you are going to bring something within you has to be blessed, purified, infused with a divine vitality and God has the power to flow through your own prayers. Swami Kriyananda gave a specific prayer to bless the food and we sing that every day. But this week we are going to sing it not only at lunch but at breakfast, at lunch and at dinner. And in between, whenever we feel that little snack, we'll or also... Chai time. Chai time. <laughs> we'll just make a point to take a moment to do that. So the prayer is like this. Please correct me if I forget. Receive, Lord, in thy light the food we eat, for it is thine. It is yours. It is thine. Infuse it with thy light, you see it, with thy love, 
Thy light. Thy life divine. Thy life divine. We will write it on the comments. Thy energy. Thy energy. Thy life divine. We have to sing it, otherwise yeah. we don't remember. So that's a prayer that we do every day. You can create your own prayer with, with your own words, with your own, you know, in the way that you feel comfortable. But this is an act that has power, that can bring a sense of wealth and health and well-being. So please do that. Uh, do it with your family members. Perhaps you want to invite them to participate in this for a week and perhaps every day each one of them can say a prayer and can be grateful for what, you know, is being put uh, at the table. So, yes, okay. I would say that's it. And for all of us who are doing it, let's do it more consciously because we can always repeat those words with an extra awareness and with deeper concentration and above all deeper awareness all right we're all